You guys ready? We've, uh, it, in the camp season uh, this, this year, I've been spending some time anchoring some of uh, the messages that I spoke uh, last month um, on Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And I was so deeply impacted, I think just personally, hopefully some of the kids were too, but <laughs> personally, as we spent some time focusing in on that, I really felt like we should take a deep dive into Proverbs. And so for the next um, month and uh, the following month of August, we're going to take some time going into Proverbs. How many of you like to do some outdoor adventuring? I, I love the hills. When I, was, when I was pretty young, late uh, grade school, early junior high, my family would come out to the Black Hills to camp, bike, and hike pretty much every summer. And I have uh, lots of great memories of doing that growing up. But before I get into this, <laughs> I see my financial team standing around. I, if you were here last week, um, you, you heard uh, Patricia, our outreach pastor, talk about... Um, uh, the Love Inc.'s Clothe the Kid program, and we told you that we'd give you an opportunity to give into that um, this morning. So if you're not familiar with it, just the, the flyby um, description of that, um, what, what, you, what we're giving to this morning, and this is going to be our mission's focus for this month, is clothing kids in our community that don't have enough money um, to, to buy new clothes uh, for this year's school. And so she said it uh, uh, they average um, what they estimate to, to, to take kids through this program, and, and, and you can get involved in several different ways. You can actually go to the shopping center and, and do the shopping with, with the kids after the money is collected. Um, you can give financially like we're going to do this morning. But it takes about $75 to, do, to give what they would like to give to a kid um, uh, for this program. So you can give whatever you want to this morning, and all of it's going to go to um, Loving's uh, program, which um, they're collecting, and I believe it's collected, uh, uh, and they're giving, they're giving all that and, and adding it all up in, in a sum and doing the actual outreach next month. But the due, the due date is this weekend for us to, to take the financial part of that. So before we get jump into the message, I'm going to have the ushers uh, pass the the, the planners just around the rows, so feel free to do that. If you write, um, if you put anything in this offering, it's going to go directly to clothe the kid. All right, let's pray over it real quick. Father God, bless this outreach, bless these kids, bless our community through what we are able to do and what we're able to share and give this morning. In your mighty name, we pray. Amen. All right. Now, um, our missions team, before I forget also, is meeting directly after second service this morning. So if you're part of our missions team that is planning um, missions trips globally, um, come back uh, about 12.15 or so, and they're going to meet right here in the foyer after this service. Okay, so back to outdoor adventuring. I have so many great memories of that growing up. I at least love we'd come out to the hills here. Just being outside, throwing a frisbee or a softball around, uh, feeding the squirrels, climbing around on the rocks. And sometimes we worked out a deal with one of my close friends, you know, and so they could come along for the week and we'd bring out the StarCraft camper and the, the pop-up. And, and I remember that one time in particular that me and my friend David Schlepp is his last name, and he got to come along and spend the week with us at a campground at the base of Sylvan Lake um, in the Needles Highway, one of my favorite places. I love it up there. And so one day, like we did most every day, David and I were out adventuring young men and rocks. There's just something about it. You've got to climb them, right? And so we, we see them, we go to them, we climb them, and we get lost. I mean, we, I don't know how far away we are from, from the campsite, but we got ourselves mixed up, and we had gone too far away from the campground. And when we came back down the hill, we did not come back to our campsite. In fact, we did not come back to our campground. We came to a highway. And being that we were the age that we were, we had no idea where we were, which direction to go, uh, how we were going to survive on one can of Vienna sausages. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Should I tell them that I have it? You know? <laughs> and then, you know, our, our, our water bottles were, were, were not that full anymore that we had in our pack. So, you know, we're thinking, well, well, this is surprising. I really expected to live longer. You know, I really expected to live past, you know, 10 12 years old, however long, however old I was. This is unfortunate. It's been a good run, you know. But so we're looking around us like, this is bad. 
And we didn't know what else to do, so we just started walking down the road in hopes that our family would think of us fondly and remember us. <laughs> Needless to say, we found the campground, and, and I don't know how long we were gone. In my adult mind, it felt, you know, now thinking back, it felt like it was a couple hours, but you know how that goes. It was probably, you know, 10 minutes. <laughs> so who knows? Hard to say. But after that little episode, it has since dawned on me. Having a friend along and simple instructions weren't sufficient when the boys got themselves in a little bit trouble and we got ourselves lost and mixed up. And maybe didn't even listen to the simple instructions like, don't go too far from the campground. Can I get an amen? That's what happened. We didn't, we didn't listen. And so fast forward to now, I still love to hike and I love to take the kids out adventuring, but I'm, I'm definitely more aware and more careful as an adult. And I have some more experience under my belt. In fact, a couple years ago, um, at, the, at an end of the school year event with Zion um, down in Durango, they would have these, uh, these big events and they'd have different uh, um, teachers come in and, and teach different things and instruct on different things. And they had this survival specialist come in and not just give us a list of rules, but she was teaching us some survival skills. And, you know, this is bear country, so there's, there's, you know, we had bears in our front yard several times, you know, we were, we were very aware of the, the lurking danger. And so she was like, if you ever get stuck or lost on a mountain, here's what you do. And she would start giving us, I was taking notes, I was like, Zion's learning this, but I'm, I'm learning stuff too. And she had us looking at, you know, different scenarios. We're in the high desert uh, in that area, so... Uh, she said, you know, what's different out there? She'd give us a scene to look at. And we were like, well, there's only one green tree, you know, that you can see there. And she's like, exactly. There's one green tree. And why is it green? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> water. I heard somebody say it. She's like, because it's holding water. It's holding water. These aren't hard questions, but she's telling us, you know, water feeds trees. And so if you go to that tree, at least you'll get shade. And maybe you can even get some water. And so she started teaching stuff like that. That was kind of obvious when she said it, but I hadn't thought of it. And so some of us, some of it was a little less intuitive, but made sense. And she was like, see those things that are over there that kind of look like fruit? Well, yeah, that's because they are fruit. And, you know, you can eat them. Do you see that cactus? You can notch out a hole in it and you can drink in it. And I'm like, yeah, I would not have figured that out. I, I would have died from thirst sitting right next to that plant saying, why God? <laughs> right? Some of it is obvious, some of it sort of, some of it not, but all of it essential to survive. And as I took all of her information in, I'm like, wow, a little bit of camaraderie and a couple of commandments are not enough to survive in the wild. We need survival skills. We need survival skills. And that's what God gave us when he gave us wisdom. We need wisdom. So I want to try an experiment real quick. Don't get too deep into this. But I want you to turn to somebody that's next to you. And I want you to tell them what you feel like you need most right now. And let me just preface it by saying, talk to them like you're talking to a friend, not in church. Okay, don't just be like, more of Jesus, less of me. That's great. That's great. That's good. But I want you to talk like you're talking to a friend and just whatever comes to your mind, man, I could really use blank. Just tell the person next to you right now, man, I could really use this. Go ahead, go real quick, take some time. Man. Okay. All right, good talk, everybody. You can pick it up afterwards if it was getting deep in those 10 seconds. But I, I don't know what you all said, but I would guess if we went around and we pulled the room, a lot of what was shared was a shift in circumstances. I need some circumstances to shift. I need to get into school. I, I just need to get into school. Pray for me that I'd get into school. I need to get out of school. <laughs> I need to get out. It's too expensive. Get me out. I need some more money. I, I need uh, a roommate. I need to get away from my roommate. Um, I need this person at work to notice me. I need to get a raise. I need to get a promotion. I need that person that I was talking about to get fired so I can get a raise and get the said promotion. <laughs> All these different things that we might say. I need a snack. 
I need a nap. I don't know what you said, but I would guess for many of you it was a change in circumstance. But here's the thing. I would submit to you what we need most in life is not a change of circumstance because we as human beings are very capable of messing up even the most ideal circumstances, aren't we? And if you don't believe me, just start watching TMC because... If ideal circumstances is all you need to be happy in life, then the most secure and happy people that you watch in the reality shows that are in LA and and DC, right? And you see these beautiful, talented, educated, motivate people mess up their lives all the time, right? And, and, And not only are we capable of messing up ideal circumstances, but our circumstances are always changing. You know, your, your, your body gets old and the way you work out just, just doesn't work the same anymore. Suddenly there's a lot more stretching, I'm told. And, and, and money, sometimes it's rolling in, sometimes it dries up. And so sometimes it's plentiful, sometimes it's not. Circumstances change all the time. So I would submit to you, what you need most in life right now is not a change in your circumstances. You need the ability to flourish regardless of the circumstances. That's right. So let me say that again, because this is where we're going these next few months. What you need most in life, even right now, is not a change in your circumstance. You need the ability to flourish regardless of the circumstance. Can I get an amen? All right. So if I'm lost in the desert, I can't change that circumstance, right? I don't have my hand on that lever to change that circumstance, but I can change my skill level. And my skills can lead me to survive and maybe even thrive in the hardest of climates. Do you see that? And so what we need is wisdom. It's interesting. I've shared before about this book, Pilgrim's Progress, written back in the 1600s by a guy named John Bunyan. And it was an allegory of the Christian life, a little picture of what it is to be a Christian. So he's living in the city of destruction. And a man named Evangelist tells him about the narrow road that leads to life. And so he starts on this journey into what is ultimately heaven. But as he's walking along this path, he arrives at the palace called Beautiful. And it's a picture of the church. So he shows up in the community, a place like this, and there's three women there. The three women say, you've made it here by grace, but it really looks more like luck. Like you've, you've just kind of stumbled through life and you made it here. And they're like, we're here to equip you and give you what you need to succeed. And so the ladies' names were piety, prudence, and charity. Those are old English words for the more modern words that we use. Charity is the word love, right? Piety is the word holiness or righteousness. And prudence is a name for wisdom. And so what John Bunyan was trying to show us when you come into the family of God... There's three things you need to survive. You need love. You need love. You need to let the love of God into your heart and then flowing out of you to your friends and even to your enemies, right? You need love. You need holiness. Some of the ways that you're making decisions are maybe off track and they're hurting others. Um, They're hurting you and you need to walk in a way um, that's right with God. But then the third sister that you need is you need prudence. You need wisdom. And it's not just the law. It's something else entirely. It's figuring out how to navigate the world well. And what I've realized in the short time that I've been one of your senior pastors here as I interact, and this has been a a long journey with uh, teenagers for 20 years too, most of the questions that come across my desk as a pastor are wisdom questions. Most, not many people ask me theology questions. You know, the questions that I spent a lot of time learning in Bible college. <laughs> you don't ask me those. Hardly any at all. Not, not, many, not many people ask me, you know, right or wrong questions. Is it really, is it wrong to punch that guy? Uh, nobody asked me that. <laughs> people ask wisdom questions. Should I date this person or not? You know, should I take this job or not? Should I move to Dallas Or should I stay in South Dakota? We ask those kinds of questions. And let me tell you something. The answers to these questions are not found in your education. Some of you are so well-educated, you have master's degrees or doctorates, and none of those are going to help you answer some of the most important questions of your life. Of, you know, where you're going to live, what you're going to do in life, the whole passion and purpose that we just spent a month talking about, who you're going to marry, right? 
Your education will help you make a better living, maybe, but it will not help you live better. It did not equip you for life. (laughs) And so some of us go, some of the biggest questions in life I don't have answers for. So what a lot of people do is they look for technique. How can I figure this out? You know, this, the, how can I manipulate the stars to find the answer? They're like, you know, God, should I move to Dallas or not? Open up the Bible, flip through, put it down. There's a, and Shamgar, son of Anos, smote the Philistines with an ox goat. <laughs> that kind of sounds like Dallas, right? <laughs> kind of sounds Dallas-ish. <laughs> and I'm not saying... That God cannot meet you in supernatural ways. He will and he does. But for some of you, maybe you've been disappointed and you think, maybe God doesn't like me. Maybe, maybe all of this is a sham. But what you find is in the middle of your Bible is the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job. And you have this whole section called wisdom literature. And when you're looking for revelation, you know, just tell me and I'll do it. And God says, no, I want you to work the muscle of wisdom. I'm going to help you figure out how to make some good choices. And so it's fascinating. This book, if you look at it, says there, there are the Proverbs of Solomon. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So Saul was the first king of Israel. Not a great guy. He was immoral and he hurt the nation. David was the second king and he was uh, what some consider the best king. He pushed back their enemies. He brought peace to the kingdom. He consolidated the tribes into one kingdom. He founded their capital city and, uh, you know, a great successful king. And after he built up the nation of Israel, as he was dying, he handed off the keys of the kingdom to Solomon, his son. And Solomon, in this moment, gets this powerful moment in 1 Kings chapter 3, where he's praying. And he's, he's meeting with God, and then he, then he fell asleep. And so this is in a dream. He, he dreams God come and says, what do you want, and what do you need? We just handed the key, keys of the kingdom what do you want? In 1 Kings 3, he says, O oh Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil For who is able to govern this, your great people? And God responds, and he says, you just asked for wisdom, understanding, and insight to govern. You asked for wisdom, and you asked for guidance. And because you didn't ask for power, you didn't ask for fame and wealth, I'm going to hook you up with all of that, is what his response is. And so Solomon becomes the most successful king while he's walking with the Lord in the nation's history. And he's powerfully built up the nation. And he becomes known as the wisest person. I forgot to have you stand as we read that. But let's pray as we go in. Father God, thank you for your word. It's holy. Help us to be holy and righteous as we seek after your wisdom this morning. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So wisdom literature was all over the ancient world. We, we found ancient tablets from Egypt and from other cultures. But by the end of Solomon's life, people from wisdom cultures were coming to learn from him. And he wrote thousands of proverbs. And so the word proverb means comparison. I'm going to show you something as you put your life up against it, in other words. And so you have the wisest man that ever lived writing down things that if I can get my mind around them, will help me lead a good life. So what's interesting is what drew Solomon to need that is he realized I have to work in the government and I need wisdom to work in the government. I don't know if anybody else finds that a little humorous. but So he wrote this primarily for young people, people who were looking... at at marriage and wrestling through questions about relationships and sex and that kind of stuff shows up in the book a lot about one out of every three verses if you do the math is about romance and sex but it's it's written for young people who are about to go into service in the nation's capital and it's written for young people who are given stewardship and they have to got they have to go out and figure out how to do it well So what's different about the book of Proverbs, though, is that it doesn't say, you know, to just the people in the king's court. 
It says at the beginning, this is to everybody. This is to anybody. And so you see wisdom when she's personified as a woman in the, in the Proverbs. It says, I'll, I'll call out to the fool. I'll stand on the streets. Anybody wants to get wise, come with me. And so it's a call out to everybody. So the nation of Israel democratized wisdom. Anybody, no matter what you're doing in this room, can grow wiser. So we're going to answer three questions before we get out of here today. The first one is, okay, Sean, we've kind of built this up, but, but what is wisdom exactly? Why do I need it? And then how do I get it? So, well, what is wisdom? That word wisdom in Hebrew is the word chokmah. And the word chokmah, if you, if, you want, if you want to be wooden in the translation, it means the word skill. So skill, it's, it's actually used in other places in the Old Testament, like Exodus 28, about skill in weaving clothes. Somebody's making the priestly garments and says, hey, let's find somebody to make the garments that has some skill and has some wisdom as it relates to fabric. And, and what, what do they mean by that? So, what, so what, we mean somebody that understands fabric, who can discern the subtle distinctions in the fabric and then is able to do something with it and is able to manipulate it to make it into something better. You need someone with the understanding that it can come at it and understand it, understand the distinctions of it and then work within it, right? It's knowing something, understanding it, and then possessing the ability to move in it successfully. So now it's interesting, Derek Kidner, who wrote a book um, and studied the book of Proverbs pretty extensively, says this in, in the beginning part of Proverbs, there's a pileup of all these synonyms that are sort of like the word wisdom. And he says, you know, what Solomon is doing here in the first chapters is like he's taking a prism of light towards the word wisdom and breaking wisdom down into its component parts. And so you get all these different words like knowledge and insight and prudence and wise dealings, but they give you the secret of what wisdom is. And if you're paying attention, knowledge is knowing things. I know something about something. But wisdom isn't just knowledge. We all know that person that's book smart, but you're not so sure that they could even turn on a microwave meal without burning their whole house down, right? We know that person. So we've, we've heard stories of tenured professors. You know, they have the book smarts that will destroy their lives with the moral decisions, sexual practices. Just because you have a lot of knowledge doesn't make you wise. So knowledge is a part of wisdom, but it's not all of it. So you get knowledge, I know how something works. Insight, I understand it. The word insight literally means to divide between. Can you see the subtle distinction there? I, I don't know generally about something, I know specifically about something. So do you ever stay up too late and something comes on on the TV and you just kind of let it play because you're like half awake anyways and so you're sitting there on the couch. This happened to me, mixed martial arts, came on, not something that I would typically watch, uh, came on the TV and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to watch, you know, men punch other men. And that's how my night is and that's how my day is going to end. Uh, so then an announcer guy comes on sort of explaining what they would do. And there's this one guy that they're highlighting that they say is the best fighter in the world. And he's going to be facing the best boxer. And as they get into the ring together, you could tell that the first guy was trying to get the other guy to the ground. And he couldn't do it. Like he was wrestling him and he just couldn't do it. But then in the second round, the third round, and the fourth round, he just destroyed the other guy. And I mean like ugly, like, you know, please stop. His mom might be watching ugly. <laughs> it, was, it was hurtful. And they interviewed him afterwards. And, and they said, what happened in round one? It looked like you were struggling. And he said, it, it, this is perfect. He said, no. I was not struggling. I knew he was a better boxer than me because he had very quick punches. And so I would hold him down and, I, and he kept trying to push me off. And as he was pushing me off with his shoulders, it made the blood rise to his shoulders, making his arms weaker and slower. And then I was able to destroy him. <laughs> And, and the, the, you could see the announcer was like, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. You know, you don't just have a basic knowledge of punch the guy in the ring. You have insight and you have discernment. You know, if I can get enough blood in his shoulders, then I will destroy him. <laughs> Who thinks like that? The wise. The wise. You have to have the ability to do something with the information that's in your head. 
right? That's what the word prudence or wise dealing means. It means a cunning shrewdness. I, I know how to make moves, and, and it can be used for evil, right? The servant, the serpent, in Genesis chapter 3, he used it that way. And yet you see in the book of Proverbs, Solomon says it's prudence and wise dealings in what? In righteousness, in justice, and in equity. So true wisdom is bounded by my morality. It's not just morality, but it's not less than morality either. And so ultimately, it's unwise to be immoral in your business practices, right? It'll catch up with you. Ultimately, it's unwise to be immoral in your marriage. It'll cost you your marriage. Amen. Wisdom involves morality, righteousness, doing what's good for the community, justice, restoring those that have been oppressed and hurt, equity, making, it, making sure it's smooth and level that everybody gets a shot. Wisdom leads to a community that does right by people, brings justice to those that have been oppressed brings equity to those who have not had it. There is a morality that binds wisdom, but wisdom is more than just morality. It's about knowledge, it's about insight, it's about prudence. It's knowing what things are, knowing how they work, and knowing what to do about it. And so when you see somebody that has that, it's masterful. When, when it, whatever you're watching, if you're watching, you know, an MMX fighter, or you're watching a carpenter, take wood, and understand how to take a tree and make it into, you know, a, a mid-century modern coffee table. That's wisdom. You know, I know about the wood. I understand the distinctions of how to work within the grains and, and not across them. And I have the skill to do something with it to make it beautiful, right? And so you see the dancers do that, knowing what movements are attractive. Not like that. <laughs> Knowing how to put those movements together that are arresting for us. So some of us think we're good at dancing, but it doesn't help us, right? <laughs> Whatever it is that you're doing out there, it doesn't help us. But for others, I, rem I remember there was a wedding that I was a part of. I was, I was um, helping in the service. I think I was doing some music at this particular one where there were some professional dancers that were there. And one of them uh, at the reception got the mic afterwards and said, this dance is our gift for the husband and the wife. And I'm like, oh, really? Well, this is, I'm, I'm going to give a dance. It's going to be my gift too, you know? <laughs> I mean, that was my first thought. But then they turn on this music and they started dancing. And, and it, it, it was this most beautiful, artistic, expressive thing. And, and then people are like tearing up and crying, and it might have been me too. And, and, and it was the most, you know, this whole arena that I'm unfamiliar with. But they know it. And they know the subtle distinctions of when to point your toes. And, and they have the ability to pull it off. And it was beautiful. When you see someone that's wise as a musician that knows how to play the right notes in the right moment. And they understand it. They have a, the, the little distinctions down. And they have the skill to work within it. That's called wisdom. And it can be beautiful for us, right? When you see someone that's wise as a comedian that has great timing to tell her joke or a business leader that always seems to know the right decision and the right timing, the right person to hire and he does it in the best way. You know, when you watch somebody not only make good decisions but make them in good timing, you go, that's amazing. It's like you're marching to a beat of this drum that I don't know but I'm somehow drawn to you. That's what wisdom is. Knowledge, insight, prudence, knowing how the world works and knowing how to work within it. It's competency in the complexities of life. And it's knowing, flowing with a rhythm that God has woven into the world. So you see it in Proverbs 3. I'm going to be throwing out a bunch of Proverbs because the, the book of Proverbs is written in a way that they're just like little bullet notes, right? So I'm throwing a lot at you today. But you see it in Proverbs 3, verses 19 and 20. God is talking about wisdom. And wisdom becomes personified as a woman. And it says, The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. And by his knowledge, the deeps broke open. And the clouds dropped, dew, dropped down the dew. So God was making the world. When he was fashioning it into creation, he put wisdom into it and then he says go back to uh, verse 17 he says her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace 
And so in that word peace isn't just the absence of conflict, it's the Hebrew word shalom, which means the fullness of blessing. So there's a rhythm to the world and physical laws. You know, the rain falls down, waters the crops, the crops grow, animals eat them, and you see a rhythm that brings life, right? And so we step into that rhythm and there is a time to plant and there is a time to harvest. We don't get to manipulate the weather. Anybody that's been around here for the last month knows that, right? The rain just does not stop, right? We don't get to do that. So we need to work within it and then we succeed, right? There are physical laws like that and there are also relational laws of how we deal with people. You know, if you are mean to people, you will not have many friends. If, if you lie to people, less will trust you, right? So they're indisputable. You don't get to change that. Well, maybe lying will make you some friends maybe in the short term, but you can't beat the system in the long term. There's a rhythm to the world, and all of her ways are peace, Proverbs says. God wove shalom into the world, and the wise people are the people who are, who are on board with that. And so we don't have techniques to manipulate the world, but we can have a wisdom to navigate it successfully. So that's what the Wright brothers did. You know the Wright brothers, their they're, they're vintage airplane, their early 1900s, their family owned a bicycle shop. The little boys, Orville and Wilbur, built a wind tunnel out back, and they would ride this little bicycle that would make this, this wind tunnel turn. And they had this theory, and they were like, you know what, boats, these big, heavy boats, if they pick up enough speed on the water, they can plane out on top of the water. And if you get enough velocity, it displaces some of that weight. What if you could plane on top of air? What if we could have a heavy vehicle plane on air? What if we made an air plane? And they began to study, and they basically worked out the laws of aerodynamics in their parents' backyard. And so when they showed up at Kitty Hawk, it wasn't luck. It wasn't, you know, one of them with wings strapped on, so like, so you think it's really going to work? <laughs> you know, okay, let's say a prayer for me, pray blessings. That wasn't it. They had studied the way nature worked and figured out how to work within it. And what happened? They soared. They soared. They didn't defy nature. They worked within it. They didn't say, I think I'll try defying gravity. That's not going to go great for you. Why? Because gravity is going to win. <laughs> it, in make-believe shows, you could maybe defy gravity, but if you try it now, gravity is going to win 10 times out of 10. You can't defy gravity and think that it's going to go well. So they didn't defy nature. What happened? They figured out how to work within it. And as they understood and saw the subtle distinctions, they figured out how to operate within them. And what happened? They soared. They soared. And so do we. That's, that's what wisdom is. That's wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is not wisdom about the wind. It's not wisdom about punching people or not. It's not wisdom about that. It's skills for life. It's skills. How do I approach the opposite sex? How do I handle my boss? How do I manage friendships? How do I handle money? What, what I'm trying to do in this series is make us a sage at every stage. I want to make us a master at life. And we need that, right? Proverbs 27 says, Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. That is wisdom. Amen. <laughs> right? Maybe you're a holy, pure, sweet, righteous person, but you're wondering, why am I not advancing in my career? What is it? Am I being oppressed? No, it's that you're just too loud in the morning. <laughs> there's, not a, there's not a law against it in Rapid City, but the book of Proverbs is not laws. They're principles for your life. And so you need this. Why? Because whoever blesses their neighbor with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be counted as cursing. You've got to dial it down a shade. And some of you, Proverbs 25 says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. If you lack self-control, you can be an amazing person, but walls for an ancient city, you start thinking about it, is what gave them security and allowed them to flourish. And if the walls break down, then people could come in and steal their, pe their people, their goats, and their crops at any time. So if you don't have walls, you were never able to advance because you were never safe. 
And so for some of us, you might be so smart, we might be so brilliant, you're smarter than all your friends, but you lack some self-control in some key areas, and it has cost you for decades maybe, and you need wisdom. Meriwether Lewis of Lewis and Clark, he walked on foot from the White House and walked across our unmapped continent to the West Coast, and that is amazing. But when he got back, he didn't know how to handle fame, and he didn't know how to even handle relationships or, or women. And so he started to drink excessively and he couldn't get married because he didn't know how to talk to girls. And so he wrote in his journal, I have never felt less like a hero than at this moment. And he took his own life. You can be powerful in your career and in your life, but if you don't have wisdom, you're not going to win at life. We need wisdom. So some of you were smart, were talented, sharp, beautiful, and you can't find a date. And you know what it might be? wisdom. You're like, I got no game. Well, this book's going to help you. You know, why, why do we need wisdom? Because in a lot of areas in life, we're not born with it. It says in verse 4, to give prudence or to give wisdom to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. That word simple doesn't mean that you lack the hardware. It just means that you don't have the files. You, you don't know. We're not born wise. And if you thought, well, I was born, I was sharp as a kid. You were just like every other kid in the block trying to figure out what a fork does in a light socket. I've realized that with my kids. I'm like, you really need me. <laughs> this is critical. <laughs> right? And it's the same with all of us. You need wisdom. You need people to show you how to move. You, you need that in the city to show you, if you come into a new city, to show you how to get from point A to point B. And you need it relationally. You need it with money. Why? Because we're not naturally wise, but the world is a dangerous place. And so there are people that will want to take advantage of you. So as a parent, there's, I got to tell my kids, there are people that are not safe to be around. And it's interesting to watch, you know, with my kids having to tell them that, hey, you can't run out into the street whenever you want because others may not see you, right? Or there may be some people that you just don't run up to and hug because mommy and daddy don't know them and you can't do that. And that's a hard thing to have to teach a child, but we have to because they don't know any better. And the world's not a safe place. And the world is filled with tools that are powerful for us. Money, sex, power, they're tools. And it's interesting, there was an article a long time ago, you guys remember this, um, about Boy Scouts when they were banning knives from the Boy Scouts. Anybody remember that? Why? Because they didn't want any weapons to be at the Boy Scout meetings. Anybody remember that? So... Here's a question to ponder, though. Is a knife a weapon? And the answer is, it depends. Right? Yeah. It, on who's using it. And if they're, if they're guided by wisdom. That's right. We want our surgeon to be able to use a knife when he's doing surgery, but I also want him to be skilled and responsible when he's using that knife and how he uses it. There's other people that I don't want to have knives because they don't use it to bring life. They'll use it to take it. So do you see that a knife is just a tool? That's how you use it, right? So money, sex, power, friendship, bosses, employees, you have power and you can use it in a way that brings life or takes a life away. But you need wisdom to handle powers like that and you will never outgrow that. That's why verse five says, let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. You can never outgrow the need for wisdom. Amen. Justin Timberlake was asked by Oprah, how did you become the master of pop? And he said, the secret to being a master is to always be a beginner. To understand that you can never stop learning. There's always a place to learn. The young need it, and the wise can increase in their learning. So how do you get it? Let's close with how do you get wisdom? Let me give you three things. Number one is commitment. It's interesting. The verse that the book opens up with is an invitation to know wisdom. But that word know in Hebrew, it's not just a, a cognitive understanding. To know in Hebrew is to meld yourself with something. To meld yourself with something. So the information and the informed 
become one. It's about taking something deep inside of you. It's about committing myself to a body of knowledge. And the same word is used as a husband and wife in Genesis, coming together as one flesh. Amen. That they would know each other as a deeply personal contact. There's something spiritual that happens there, right? Yeah. The husband and wife come together and they become one in Genesis. So what that means is that you don't just kind of stick your toe in wisdom. Test the waters. You don't just pick it up at a piece at a time. You can't be wise with money but not wise in relationships because that will ruin your life. You can't be wise in relationships and unwise with your boss. That won't work well for you. You need commitment to the whole process of wisdom. Don't just play with it. We, we see the commitment to enter in with Mr. Miyagi. Anybody remember um, Karate Kid? When he asked Daniel, he says, are you ready to learn karate? Anybody remember that scenario? What did Daniel say? I guess so. He said, I guess so. And so what did Miyagi do? He, he took him down onto the pavement and he said, you stand on this side of the road, you're safe. You stand on this side of the road, you're safe. You stand in the middle, like a grape. In other words, he's saying, this isn't a guess so answer. You don't just play games with karate. You're either in or you're out. You decide, as Yoda would say, do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> You've got to decide. Am I committed to learn? Am I committed to learn? Proverbs says it this way. Like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. In the mouth of fools. So you've got something good, but you can't use it. And so just having knowledge, but not using it, you're not going to become somebody wise. You'll be a fool. And you might be a fool with some, uh, fool with some cute sayings, but there's a commitment level. Am I committed to learn wisdom? The second thing, not only is there commitment, there's discipline. It says, verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction. And that word instruction is also in different places translated as discipline. It means the wisdom, that wisdom is something that you've got to work at to get. That's why it calls, there's, there's several places where it calls the Proverbs riddles. You have to think about them a little bit. You've got to ponder them a little bit. What exactly does that mean? That I've got to work to know instruction. And so here's what we want to help you as a church. We want, to, we want to do a Bible reading plan. And we're launching into this tomorrow morning. There's 31 Proverbs in the book of, of Proverbs. And so we're going to be in this series this month and the next. And I want to challenge you over an eight-week period to read uh, around a half a chapter a day of Proverbs. Half a chapter a day is not hard. Okay. But we want to challenge you to, to, to make that commitment and say, I'm going, to, I'm going to take a dive into wisdom. And for some of us, maybe a deep dive. You know, we've got, you got to ponder these, right? And so if you want to do that with us, on the screen, you'll see the domain there. You can visit mydestiny.familyproverbs to sign up. And we'll email you the readings each day. Um, if you just go to our main website, you'll see the graphic there right under the you are welcome here. You can also just click on the graphic there where it says sign up uh, to join us on the uh, daily readings. Either way, that URL that's on the screen will take you directly to it. All I, all I need is your email address and then you're in. These start going out tomorrow morning with Proverbs, the first half of, of chapter one. And so this is putting the cookies on the very bottom shelf, okay? This is barely making you work for wisdom. You know, it's like Ray had to find an ancient island to, to find Luke Skywalker, but we are literally putting the lightsaber in your hand <laughs> and we're taking these, the Proverbs and we're putting them on your phone. We're putting them uh, in your inbox. So sign up now, do it tonight and go on this journey with us. And they'll start going out again tomorrow morning and you can join us anytime along the way. Maybe you've never read a, read a book of the Bible 
um, some of you, but for the next couple of weeks, you know, I'll read a, a half a chapter a day, maybe a chapter depending on the, on the day, and I'll read the whole book of Proverbs and maybe pick up some wisdom in the process. So that's not a bad way to do that. That I seek after it like silver, that I hunt for it like treasure, that I move towards it. But the last thing wisdom requires, here it is, number three, is humility. And if you notice, the verbs are to receive instruction and to obtain guidance. It literally means to learn the ropes. And it says in Proverbs 15 that it's humility that comes before honor. See, the truth is that you work to understand it, but here's the thing, it has to be given to you. We work to understand it. That's the interesting dichotomy about, about Proverbs is that I work to position myself to learn, but it still has to be given to me as a gift. And so that's where we're going to land today. It's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. That I have to understand as a basic principle, and it, and it doesn't mean, you know, beginning like, you know, the starting blocks that you leap from. It means beginning like the foundation that you're going to build your wise life on. Like the foundation. The foundation of all wisdom is a fear of the Lord. And what does that mean? You know, I, I don't want to fear God. What does that mean? It's not helpful to study the words fear in the Lord and separation. That's kind of like, you know, that'll get you to the wrong place. It's like, it's like uh, taking the word butterfly and breaking it up and, and studying butter and flies. It's not going to get you to the right spot. The, you're not going to do it that way. Fear of the Lord is a statement that, that, that's all throughout the Old Testament. And you know where it always shows up? It, it, in a moment where God himself is speaking. And God says, this is the path of righteousness. Walk in it. This is the way of life. Follow it and you will be blessed. Obey my commands, you'll find your life and you'll find honor. So you see the fear of the Lord when the Lord speaks, people are going to say, I want to listen. I want to hear it. I want to revere you enough to take you seriously. So that's what it means. I want to listen to you and believe that you know more about the reality than I do. And I want to admit as a foundational principle in my life that there is a God and I am not it. <laughs> That's the foundation of wisdom, that God made the world and he made it to work in a certain way. And I didn't get to change how my roommate behaves. I don't get to change how my parents raise me. I don't get to change how society works, but I can change me. And, it, and it, if I submit to the God that made this world, he's going to show me how to walk in time with his rhythm. And I'll succeed in life. One last thing. It's humble. It's the humble who attain honor, but it's the fool who is wise in his own eyes. But the secret is, are you willing to humble yourself? Coming back to humility. I just watched the movie Doctor Strange this week. I know Marvel movies are kind of a big thing right now, but I hadn't seen this one. I, I ended up watching it on Thursday night. It made a lot of money when it came out, probably because it was Benedict Cumberbatch, and who doesn't love Benedict? He's such a wonderful human. But um, I just watched the, the full movie for the first time this week. And if you didn't see the movie, the big question that comes up in it is, how does Benedict become a master in the mystic arts? So let me tell you how it starts. Not well at the beginning. He's a doctor, and he's arrogant, and he's rude, and people who are arrogant can't be taught, right? They can't be taught. So if you find yourself when people are offering you advice saying, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. In the book of Proverbs, it says, you're a fool. Because fools delight in airing their own opinions, but a fool who will not listen to the wise or understand that as they listen, they'll grow wiser still. So anyway, the doctor's a fool at the beginning. He, he's, he's a doctor, even though he's wealthy, he's successful, he's driving this amazing car, he has this great watch, he's rich, he's successful, but he's a rich, successful fool. And he thinks the world has to bow to me. Is kind of the impression that you get as you're watching it. And he realizes, what he realizes pretty quickly into the movie is that gravity doesn't bow to him. And so you can't drive your car off a cliff when you're not paying attention. It'll be destroyed and his hands were also crushed in this accident. And so what happens, he has to be brought low. And before he can become a master, he's broken, and he's humbled, and he finds himself at the feet of a master. And he realizes, 
I don't know anything about how the world works, how reality works. I don't know anything. And so the big pivot in the movie is where this rich, successful man realizes, I'm not wise at all. I'm a fool. And in humility, he kneels, he brings himself to his knees, and he says, teach me. And it's there, at that low point, scraggly beard and messed up hair and ripped up clothes, nothing to offer, where he comes in humility, acknowledging, I don't know the right ways to move, I don't know the right decisions to make, I thought I knew, you know, it's my body, it's my life, it's my decisions, it's my world, but I realize that if I do that, I run into friction in this world. I didn't plan out on the rhythm of the world, and God, I'm tired of smacking my head against reality, so you know what? There is a God, and I'm not it. So I come in humility, and I say, teach me. The wise in the book of Proverbs is the person who admits they're a fool. The wise is the person who admits they need to be taught. And as you admit you're a fool, you go racing down the path of wisdom. Now let me close with this. Some of you hear that and you go, the book of Proverbs promises so much. If I do this, you know, it's going to get this good result. If I handle money this way, you know, I will get a great return and a harvest. If I train my children in the way that they should go when they're old, they won't depart from it. But you know what? Some kids rebel. Sometimes people cheat you out of money. Sometimes someone breaks into your house. So where are your Proverbs now? Well, God wrote wisdom into the world. And all of its ways are shalom, peace, right? And when we broke faith with God as humanity, back in Genesis chapter 3, we broke shalom. We broke peace. And so now the book of Proverbs gives us guiding principles that work within that rhythm. So if you work out, you'll gain muscle and get in shape. That's not in Proverbs, but it is a proverb. You work out, you'll get in shape. But some people may say, what if I work out and I go and I get hit by a bus? Well, that's possible, but that doesn't negate the principle. If you don't work out, you're not going to get in shape, right? So there's exceptions to the rules, but the Proverbs gives us principles, and yet you'll see men, like at the very end of the book of Proverbs, Agur is one of the wisest men who lived, and the text says that he says this, Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. And he says, you know what? I can study the, the world and gain wisdom, but sometimes the system breaks, and I can do everything right, and sometimes things don't work out. So what do I do? And in his frustration, Proverbs 30, he says, Who has ascended to the heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? And that's where he ends. He says, you know, I can gain a wisdom by studying books, by watching nature, but ultimately wisdom is relational and I need to know the person who made this place. I need to know the person who controls the water and the wind. What's his name? What's his son's name? And the text fell silent. And generations later, we come to John chapter 3, and the teacher Nicodemus will come to Jesus, and he's looking for wisdom. Acknowledging that he's a wise man, Jesus looks at him, and he says to him, No one has risen into the heavenly realm except the Son of Man, who also exists in heaven. And just as Moses in the desert lifted up the brass replica of a snake on a pole for all people to see and be healed, so the Son of Man is ready to be lifted up so that those who truly believe in him will not perish but be given eternal life. And there's something so interesting. In that moment, Nicodemus says, I can tell you're a wise man. And Jesus says, basically says, well, you, you have no idea. I am the one who ascended and descended. I'm the son of God who you've been looking for, who can make sense of your pain. Agur couldn't understand why shalom breaks down, but I'll give you the secret. I will take the consequence 
of your broken peace onto myself and I will become the prince of peace. And how will I do it? I will do it by taking the brokenness of the world on me like Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. So I will be lifted up that whoever believes in me has life. Would you stand with me? Ultimately, wisdom is relational. It's humility. It's when a person is saying, I don't run this place, but you do. Jesus chided that generation because he says, when Solomon began to, to speak wisdom, even the queen of the south, it was a nation that was famous for wisdom, came to learn at Solomon's feet. And Jesus says, there is one more wise than Solomon. There is even one more wise than him. The son of man, Jesus Christ, who has become for us wisdom. That if you decide today, I wanna walk with him, I wanna trust him, I'm gonna read his word and learn how to navigate this world. And when life doesn't go my way, I'm going to trust that he guides all of it. I'm going to trust that. He holds the waters and the winds, it says, in his hand. And then when I look at the brokenness in my own life, I'm going to trust that what he did about it was definitive. Jesus, he looks out and he says, you know, you did break shalom. You did break peace. But I marched into Jerusalem, the city of peace, and I purchased peace with my blood on the cross. So I'm the hero, the son of man, who ascended and has descended, that whoever believes in me would have life. And whoever walks with me would have wisdom. So the question comes down to, are you willing to go on a journey, to humble yourself before a king like that, who gave all for you? And I promise if you do it, you'll have, you'll live a way better life than you did a, way, uh, a few weeks ago because he is a God that gives you wisdom, skills, skills for survival to live a better way even when times are tough even when the circumstances are tough why because the master of the universe is offering to be our teacher are we humble enough to listen father god we just thank you thank you for your truth this morning. God, would we acknowledge that you are the truth, you're the way, the life. God, and I just pray that we would come humbly, Lord, with a commitment and with a discipline to take a deep dive into your truth, into your wisdom. God, help us to not just survive, but to thrive and to flourish in every circumstance in every place that you take us, in every step along the journey. God, this morning, I want to grab a hold of your shalom, of your peace. Peace that passes understanding that only you can give. God, we take that to our hands today. And if you're here this morning, you haven't prayed the prayer and asked Jesus to come and be that fulcrum in your life, the one that establishes truth in your life. I just, I just want to present it to you as a way of survival this morning. He has a better way for you. He, he, you were fashioned and formed in your womb, and he knew you before you even uh, came out of the womb. And he has a purpose and plan for you that is better than you can think of or imagine. And so my invitation to you this morning 
is to walk with him, to number your days and gain a heart of wisdom. And it's, it's, he's not a God that would, would want to hide it, but he's one that would want to share it with you. So if that's you this morning with nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed, we don't want to embarrass anybody, just me looking. Would you just raise your hand? We just want to pray with you this morning. Is there anybody here in the place this morning that would just say yes to Jesus? I want to walk with him. This is my first time. All right. Father God, we thank you for your purposes and your plans. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.